John chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 50. John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So, the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory of that comes from man. Did you hear that? They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would tell me what to say and that you would help us to hear and receive and keep this word of authority that leads to life. The word that if we reject, the word of life and of light, that if we turn away from, we are only left in the darkness. So give us your light. Give us your life, we pray. And as you said to your people in Deuteronomy chapter 29, with your own eyes you saw these great trials and miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand or ears that see or ears that hear. And so in your mercy, Lord, I pray now, this day, that you would not just show us the signs and wonders of Jesus in his glory and his crucifixion, his resurrection, his his reign from heaven. I pray that you would not just show us these things, but give us a mind to understand. Maybe someone has not had eyes to see yet. Would you give them eyes to see today? Would you open up ears so that they might hear your good news? Show us your glory. Show us your son, Jesus. Show us yourself, we pray. In his name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our text presents a problem to us today, a God who sometimes hides himself from us. You ever ask God, are you hiding from me? The Bible says here in John 12, 36, that after Jesus spoke these things, he hid himself from them. 
What things did he speak? Well, if you look on the screen, we have a little table with, on the left side, the fruit, the beautiful part, and then on the left side you have the barren part. I'm not going to preach the fruit part today, the beautiful, healthy part. We're going to get that next week. But we're going to look at the harder words today. What Jesus says, which we'll look at next week, are about his death, his, his work on the cross being lifted up so that all men might see him clear, plainly and clearly and be drawn to him. And he says, I must die like a seed. You know, a seed, when it's planted in the ground, has to die if it's going to bear fruit. Amen. It's got to be buried in the earth to sprout and bring forth life. Jesus said, I must be buried in the ground for three days. I must die in order to spring up from the dry ground like the prophet said, I would sprout forth and bear fruit, and many nations will be drawn to me like a great harvest. That's the focus of chapter 12, verses 20 through 36, the fruitful work of salvation, when out of the nations, out of their places of hiding, God draws people to himself. But today we're looking at the harder word of verses 36 through 50, the word that's about a stubborn people, a difficult people. It's the ugly side of salvation when people reject the light of the gospel and don't believe Jesus. The religious leaders that Jesus was challenging on his ministry on, on the earth wanted to kill Jesus for what he was saying. He was saying things like, if you see me, you see God. <laughs> well, let's kill him for that. They said many times throughout the Gospel of John. And so... They would soon kill him. If you just keep turning the pages, a couple more pages in John's Gospel, they will kill Jesus, of course. They wanted him to disappear, and he did disappear right here in chapter 36. After he said these beautiful things, he departed and hid himself from them. Jesus, throughout John's Gospel, is always in control of when his death will be and where it will happen. He knows he's going to the cross, and that's where he's focused. And so he keeps hiding himself until the right time when he exposes himself, even to the point of, stretching out his hands on the cross, naked before the watching world. The, the people wanted to kill Jesus. They were in darkness. They saw the light clearly. Here he was. He was the light of the world. And yet, they preferred to shut their eyes and walk in darkness. Jesus said, in verses 35 and 36, if you're in the darkness, you can't see. I'm the light. I'm here. Follow me. I'm the light. And you will see. And you'll be found. And then here in this Difficult passage. Jesus, who is the light, chooses to hide himself from those who prefer the darkness. You like it in the dark? Okay, let's turn all the lights out. I will go away and you will no longer see me. And I will no longer offer my words of truth and guidance. Jesus hid himself from them. John twelve thirty six. God sometimes hides from people. Do you ever ask God... God, where did you go? Are you hiding from me? Why can't I see you? Working more in my life. Why can't I hear from you? I don't feel you anymore. There are several reasons why God might seem hidden or quiet far away from us. Number one, God is invisible. So, if God seems like he's hiding himself from you, there's a reason. And God does say, no one can see me and live. So if you don't want to die, then maybe don't ask God to show himself literally to you. The second reason, creation cries out about this invisible God 
He's still so glorious, and we can see evidence of him all over the world. Psalm 19 says, Day and night, creation is pouring forth speech, telling us of the glory of God. Acts 17, verse 27 says, If we seek God, if we feel our way toward him, like walking in your house at night in the light track, you're feeling your way around the wall, around the furniture, if you feel your way toward God, you will find him. If you seek him, he's actually not far from each one of us. He's hiding only under the covers of creation, only just behind the veil of your own conscience. And he's crying out, here I am. It's so obvious. There are signs everywhere across the creation, in your own soul. He's left us so many clues, so many cues, so many fingerprints and footprints all over creation. God might seem like he's hiding for another reason, so that he might test our faith. You know, God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you all the signs and miracles and ecstatic experiences and great deep feelings all the time. And sometimes he says, I want your faith to be built up. I don't want you to live by sight or by the obvious. I want you to live by faith and trust me. Amen. Trust me. And so today's text gives us another harder answer about why God might be hidden from us. That is sin. The answer is often because we don't really want to see God for who he really is. We don't like the God that we find in places like John 12, the God who might harden hearts. We don't like to hear God's word all the time, the word that tells us what to do when we don't want to do it. We don't really seek God truly, fully. We don't want to see and know and follow him. And so sometimes he says, okay, I'll stop intruding, I'll give you what you want, and I will just go away for a while, so to speak. I will hide myself from you if you don't want to see me or know me. So if you ask God, are you hiding from me? You should also ask yourself, do I really want to see God? Do I really want to hear his word? Am I ready to obey even the hard words of Jesus? Now, if you're ready, then welcome to church and welcome to John 12, which is a great word of God for us that we might find God and see him once again in his glory. John's gospel is a book full of signs, seven major signs that point to the glory of Jesus. The hidden God is revealed in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of John's gospel, to show us that Jesus is God, and if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. All the scriptures reveal Jesus. He has spoken, and he is still speaking many things, revealing himself in many ways to those who really want to know him. Verse 37 reminds us that Jesus did show many signs to the people on the earth during his earthly ministry. Many signs, but what was the result? Though he'd done many signs, before their faith, they still did not believe in him. Signs like opening the eyes of blind people. What happened when they opened the eyes of the blind man? They closed their eyes even harder and said, we won't believe it. We, we, we will not look at that as evidence for faith. What happened when he raised the dead? They said, let's kill Jesus for doing that. I mean, these are the most obvious signs you can have, and they turned against Jesus for those very signs. They did not believe him because of those signs. The problem is not that God is stingy with his evidence or that he's the hidden God and never reveals himself. The problem is with us. People's stubbornness. John goes on to quote the prophet Isaiah in verse 38. They turned away with hard hearts so that the word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? Who's believed this message, this gospel, this word? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord represents his power, the signs that he does, the wonders. Who has believed the words and the signs and the miracles that Jesus is giving? And many people didn't. 
And he says, it's just like the prophet predicted, just as God said would happen, even the most obvious truths about God were lost on many people who remained lost themselves. Isaiah 53 is that famous chapter. We always read it on Good Friday. This chapter about the suffering servants, the Messiah, who would suffer and die. Who has believed this message? It's a hard message. A crucified man who is beaten so badly that they say we don't even recognize him as a man anymore. He's so ugly. A man that was put on a cross and hung there to die naked before a watching world. That's not a pretty message. A lot of people don't want to hear about that. And even more people say, well, I surely don't need someone else to save me. So this idea of a savior on the front end is hard enough. But a suffering savior? I can do better than that. I can live a good enough life. I'm a good enough person. I'm not into that humility thing. If that's who God is, don't want any part of it. I'm not really into the suffering thing. I'm more into the prosperity thing. So this Isaiah 3 suffering servant saying, take up your cross too and follow me, many people don't believe that, don't want to hear that. They rejected the suffering Messiah. Why was this Messiah so ugly to them? Because they beat his face with their fists. That's why. Why was he so rejected, this suffering servant? They're the ones that made him suffer. You know, many of the things we don't like about God or don't appreciate about Jesus isn't because of any defect in God. God is perfect. Jesus is the perfect man. When we think there's something wrong with God, it's really because we've done something to push God aside or to change the way he actually is. It's our fault that God looks ugly. It's our sin that makes God look ugly. God is perfect, shining forth in beauty and glory. But we say, flipping truth and falsehood upside down on its head, I don't want holiness. I don't want a beautiful God. I want to live life in the dirt and in the darkness. They rejected the suffering Savior, even though he was saving them. Humility did not look good to them. Love looked too weak for them. John says in the first chapter of his Gospel, we've seen his glory, full of grace and truth, but what have we done? We have not received or recognized him. As God. We saw the suffering Savior who said, No, thank you. I don't want to hear about that. They did not believe him. Verse 38. Then, verse 39, John continues and quotes the prophet Isaiah again. Therefore, they could not believe him. Now, we move from they did not believe to they, say it with me, could not believe. Now, you, that could also imply that they would not believe. Could also means would sometimes in the scriptures. So maybe it's simply a problem of their stubborn wills. But there also seems to be something of God's hand in this. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But now they don't believe and now they can't believe. Isaiah 6 is quoted, verse 10. Another famous passage from Isaiah. In the, king, in the year of King Uzziah's death, the prophet Isaiah says, I looked into heaven and saw on the throne of heaven itself the Lord, Yahweh, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe isn't like a choo-choo train. It's not just like a wedding train on a, a wedding gown. It, it really literally means the hem of the garment, like the edge, the edge of the garment. Just the tip of his robe did what? It filled the whole temple. It's like his shoelace filled this whole sanctuary. His glory filled the whole earth. The angels cry, holy, 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 because your glory covers and fills the whole universe. Hallelujah. This is 
a vision of Jesus? Because it says Isaiah saw his glory and said this about him, verse 41. Isaiah sees Jesus in all his glory as the king now, exalted, filling the earth. That hem of his robe, does that remind you of another story about Jesus? In Luke's gospel, remember the story where the, there was a crowd and there was a woman and she was bleeding for 12 years, bleeding, a woman bleeding, feminine bleeding, and she, she's gone to all the doctors and spent all her money and she cannot be healed. They can't do that. But in the crowd, she reaches out and touches just the what? Hem of his robe. Just the tassels on his Jewish rabbinical robe. And power departs from him and she is healed. And, and he says, who touched me? I know power went out for me. I know that I've just healed someone and I didn't even, I didn't even say anything or do anything. It's just because you touched the hem, the, the little thread of my garment, and she's afraid and she hides in the crowd and finally she says, it was me. You healed me. And in the same way, Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord lifted up so high and exalted, and he's afraid, and he, he hides his face, in, as it were, and he says, woe is me. What a sinner I am, and I live among a people of unclean lips too. My lips are unclean. My eyes have now seen the glory of the Lord. I think my retinas are going to burn out. I can't stand to be in the presence of holiness because I'm unworthy. But what does God do? He sends the seraphim. You know what that means? It means the burning one. The burning one. What does the burning one do? The angel, the, this flame, this fiery servant of God, he goes to the fire of the altar and he takes a burning coal and this burning one takes the burning coal and touches Isaiah's dirty lips Amen. and he atones for his sin. He cleanses him. The Holy One cleanses the unrighteous prophet. And then he says, now I'm going to send you with these cleansed lips to go preach this message of my exaltedness and my holiness. And what are the people going to do? Well, John told us, he's quoting Isaiah 6.10, I'm going to blind their eyes and harden their hearts unless they see with their eyes and believe in their hearts and turn and I would heal them. They don't want to hear this message. They're going to reject the message of not only the suffering servant, but the sovereign Savior. They're rejecting a, a Jesus who suffers and is ugly for his suffering and they're going to reject a Jesus who is sovereign over their lives and is the king because they don't want to hear what a king has to say. They want to do what they want to do. Isn't that the case with all of us? Don't we just want to say, I'm not reading my Bible because I would rather watch videos or read other things or just sleep or whatever you want to do. You don't really want the king's word telling you what to do every day. That's why you don't read it. And that's why even when you read it, you don't obey it. I mean, it's just reality. It's, it's me, it's you, it's all of us. If you really love God and his word, you'd read it more often and you'd keep it more often. But we really don't. We don't want to see... Jesus and all his exaltedness telling us what to do. Otherwise, you'd be doing it a lot more often. So let's just keep it real and say they rejected him like we all do because they didn't want a sovereign Savior telling them how to live. And and if you go back a chapter in Isaiah from chapter 6 to chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, you get even a clear picture of how stubborn the people were. This isn't God just saying, Okay, go preach, and before that word even comes, I'm going to harden their hearts and blind their eyes, and they're not going to see anything. No, these people were already stubborn and hard-hearted and blind. God is just saying, have what you want. Have it your way. You like the darkness? I'll turn the lights out. Because listen to what he says in Isaiah 5, verses 18 and following. The people cry out to God and say, hurry up and show us some signs and speak to us some good counsel. Hurry up, God. Get it over with. Be quick about it. I've got things to do. I'm busy. I've got other things, Jesus. Let's get this church service over with. Let me get a quick little devotional, maybe like a little two-minute devotional, and then I'm on my way. Hurry up. Give me a good word. Give me a good sign. But do it quickly and do it 
the way that I want you to do it. Help me to have a God who's made in my image, who's convenient, who can serve me at my beck and call. I call, I pray, I want you to answer me. Come on, God, speed things up. This is what Isaiah 5 says. We don't want a God high and lifted up who, who makes us bow low to the earth in humility like Isaiah. Woe is me. We don't want that. We want the God that says, I'll serve your every need. I'll bow down and serve you. You just tell me what you want. I've got you. A convenient God. A, a vending machine God. That's what we want. We don't want to see a God how high and lifted up he is. We want to say, God, when I say jump, you say how high. Okay, do what I want. I'm going to pray and you answer it. Now, quickly. Otherwise, I'm frustrated. I'm going to go do other things. You lost your chance with me. Isaiah 5.20 says, The people were even so twisted that they, they began calling good evil. What are some good things that people call evil today? Uh, marriage? Um, uh, children? These are inconvenient things. They get in the way of our hormones and our happiness and our convenience. Jesus, he's good. People call him evil. The church, that's good. We, we certainly screw up sometimes in the church, but you know the church is generally seen as intolerant in, in so many people's eyes these days. Uh, then they started calling what was evil good. I could really step on some toes on this one. Looking at the world, what, what are some of the evil things people call good? Abortion. Sexual sins outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Greed, including the church and its members being greedy. Gossip and uh, consumerism. The American dream at the expense of other people who are seriously suffering in a way that most Americans never have, even the poorest among us. I mean, there are many things that we call good, which are evil. We protect ourselves from the truth. And the prophet goes on to say, they exchange darkness for light. I actually like the darkness now more than light. I don't want to see light anymore. I've gotten so used to the darkness. My eyes have adjusted. My heart's adjusted. My way of life is adjusted. I just like being in the darkness, sinning, and not seeing the glorious light of God. And so what does God do? He gives them what they want. He blinds them to his glory. He says, fine, you're going to preach the message and they're going to reject it. They don't want the truth. They can't handle the truth. They don't want light. They want darkness. Isaiah is describing what you could call glory traders. You know, downtown Chicago, there's the Board of Trade. People trade things. They trade commodities and they, they make money. And you might trade things with other people. You might swap things sometimes, a little barter system maybe. These people are trading God's glory for their own glory. That's what Jesus will tell us about his own audience in his day. They love the glory of men more than the glory of God. They traded the light and the truth for a lie and for darkness. There was this little sinister exchange that happened in their hearts. They exchanged God for their own opinions. It's what Romans 1 describes. You know Romans 1, that famous passage again. I mean, there's a creator. It's obvious from creation that he's powerful. And he, he is, he exists. But we turn away from him. And we turn kind of like curling into ourselves, into our own dark hearts. And the deeper we go into our dark hearts, God says, the more you love yourself and the more you love sin. And so eventually it says there is a point when God gives us over to our darkened mind. And he says, hey, I've tried for many years to shed light on the subject, to speak the truth to you, and to love you. 
but you keep going back to the darkness. So eventually, have it your way. And the example, of course, that Romans 1 gives is homosexuality, a popular subject today to talk about, right? Of course, that's the example. We all like to say, yeah, take that, you know, those people over there, those sinners. But then Paul says, uh-uh-uh, wait, 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 hold on. It's not just those people out there. It's not just those types of sins. It's, he gives us a laundry list at the end of Romans 1. It's all of you. I'll just name a few of them. He says, greed, racism, deceit, divisions among you, pride, rebelling against authority, having no compassion for someone in need. Does that hit home for any of you? Pride, no compassion, deceit, twisting the truth a little bit. Divisions among you, or do you have complete forgiveness and reconciliation with every person? How's that working out? We love our own way. We love the darkness. We've made this exchange. We've exchanged the glory of God for images that we create. Something that we can control. It's like we've taken our glasses and flipped them upside down. You might still be able to see out of your glasses. If you flip, but try turning them backwards. How does that work? It's like looking through a telescope the wrong way. Everything looks smaller instead of bigger. It's like working with a compass and flipping it backwards somehow so that you're going south instead of north. It's, it's like getting the brain wiring, the neurons crossed so that your neurons are going this way instead of that way. It's, it's like having your affections and your very will and your, the, the, the love inside of you completely flipped so that you love the wrong thing and want the wrong things. You, you enjoy tasting what tastes terrible and you don't enjoy what tastes beautiful and good and delicious anymore. We've made this exchange, and Jesus says, if that's what you want, I'm not going to keep forcing cheesecake down your throats. We enjoy mud. You know, I'm not going to keep shining light on you when you enjoy darkness so much. Our Savior loves us, though. If you're here today, it tells me that you want to know God more. There's hope for you and for me, because you're here, and even just a small inkling of desire for God means we're on the right track. So let's continue to press into his word. Your Savior wants you to see things correctly. He wants you to flip your life back upside, right side up. He wants you to see things correctly. He wants you to, to live literally an upright life, not an upside down life. He wants you to learn how to speak truthfully about even hard topics to our culture and to your own heart. To, to speak truthfully, not lying about reality. And, and yet, some of the people that saw Jesus and that did actually believe in him in some way, at least partially. It says in verse 43, verse 42, nevertheless, even though they saw his glory and they wanted something to do with Jesus, nevertheless, many even of the authorities who believed in him still were so afraid of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that they were going to kick them out of the synagogues, that they were going to shut them out of the religious power play, that they shut up their mouths and stopped speaking about Jesus. It's not that they completely traded sold their soul to the devil, you could say. But it was just enough that they were afraid of what other people might think of them. They loved the glory that comes from man, verse 43, more than the glory that comes from God. We believe, but we're afraid, right? We believe that homosexuality is a sin, for instance, but we're afraid to talk about it, Right? I just had to put that out there because otherwise I would have proven myself wrong and said, I chickened out, I couldn't say it. But it's true. We believe that Jesus is the only way, 
but we're afraid to say it because it will offend people. Now, of course, I recommend doing everything with love and gentleness and humility, and I hope that you see that modeled in me and other Christians. But are we afraid? Even though we believe, we're afraid of what they might think. They might put us out. They might say, well, I'm not going to hire her. I'm not going to be his friend. I'm going to unfriend them on social media or whatever we think is going to happen. We're afraid. We exchange the glory of human opinion, human approval, human applause. We want people's approval, and we don't really care that much about God's anymore. We're like the people that stalk my neighborhood, my block during the Christmas season. People out there delivering the packages, Amazon delivery, FedEx, UPS. Here they come, and what are people doing? They're watching people's porches. They're stalking those packages. People are coming and snatching those packages right off your front porch, stealing the gifts. And we do the same thing. We steal God's glory. We wait for that moment when someone else who's not God will approve, and we say, that's what I want. I'm going to take that. I don't need God's glory or approval or his rule over my life. John 5, Jesus says something very similar in verse 44. How can you believe me? Okay, so people are saying, I believe you, Jesus. I'm following you. But how can you really believe me when you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Okay, we believe, right? We believe in Jesus. But we've got to test ourselves at this point. What do we really love more? The glory of people? of the glory of the only God. It's helpful to break down what does this mean that we want the glory of other people. Well, it can look like so many different things. Pride, number one. You're a proud person. You like people respecting you and giving you kudos and you know saying nice things about you. Of course, we all do, but has it turned inward in a destructive way? Is it at the expense of other people's good? What about your ego? How, how easily is your ego bruised? When someone says something to you, maybe they correct you. Maybe it's another Christian who says, hey, the Bible says this and you're doing this and I want to correct you or need to rebuke you and you're just angry, you're bitter, you stomp off, you storm away or you just quietly fume and, and steam over this. You're loving the glory of other people more than the glory of God. What about when someone hurts you and you don't love them or you withhold forgiveness from them? You hold that grudge? What about when you just want to fit in rather than live a holy life? You just want to fit in and be accepted. You don't really pursue holiness because other people might think you're strange. Or when someone's saying something and you know you should speak up and speak out and say something that's true, you just keep your mouth shut. You fear rejection. You fear missing out on what everyone else will get or what, what they're all doing. I mean, this is loving the glory of man, loving, loving the glory of ourselves more than the glory of God. That's what it is. And Jesus said, okay, I see that you fear each other and respect each other's opinions more than you respect mine at the end of the day, so I'm going to hide myself from you. I'm going to take some of my glory away. I'm going to hide the glory. I'm going to give you what you want, which is each other's glory. Why would Jesus keep revealing more glory and more light and more truth to people who just don't want it? People that actually say, no thanks, I prefer my version of glory. Would I show someone my most precious treasures if I knew they were going to just steal those things from me? Would I show someone my, my most precious, most vulnerable places in my heart if I knew they would just insult me or offend me or judge me for those things? Of course not. The holier and the more glorious the gift, then the more 
reasons God has to hide those from disrespectful people, from just fools and clowns and amateurs and enemies. Why would God keep giving away his treasure to people that waste it and abuse it? If I said to my wife, hey, I've been enjoying kissing other women lately. It's just something I've been enjoying lately. But I'd still like to get your kisses when I, when I want them. Would she be a fool for saying, sure, anytime you want that glory, anytime you want that beauty, anytime you want that love, just come around. And it doesn't matter how many other women you've sought glory from. Of course, she's going to say, no, my glory and my beauty and my love is too precious. I'm not going to waste it on you anymore if you continue to live that sort of life. They did not believe. They could not believe. There's a clear emphasis here on God's action we can't deny. He sovereignly has taken away their sight somehow. They were already preferring the darkness, so somehow he said, sure, he just kind of kicks them a little harder and gets them further down the path of darkness. They were already closing their eyes. He says, oh, you want to close your eyes? Okay, I'll, I'll blindfold you now, or I will strike you with blindness like he did the apostle, Paul. He didn't want to see Jesus, so he said, okay, cool. I'll take away Jesus from you for at least a time. God is sovereign. He hardens the heart here. They stop their ears up and he says, fine, I'll make you deaf then. You won't be able to hear or appreciate the beauty of my word anymore. And maybe I'll just stop sending my prophets altogether to teach. In John 6, we get a clear view of how desperately we need God to act upon our eyes and our ears and our hearts because Jesus tells us in John 6 that, in fact, no person can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him or her. You think, I'm not blind, I'm not deaf. Well, the only reason you may not be blind or deaf is because God's opened your eyes. If you love Jesus, it's because he opened your heart and he drew you to himself. There's really no other way around it. John's Gospel is full of these examples of how sovereign God is in both hardening, blinding, and also softening and opening for people to love him and know him. The scriptures are crystal clear that God is God and I am not. I believe that there is human will, of course, but I believe that God's will trumps human will. I believe that God's will always has the last word. Amen. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. I would. Amen. If I got my way, I wouldn't be a preacher today. I wouldn't be a Christian today. Preach. And neither would you. God doesn't give us what we want. He changes what we want so that we want him. Amen. He doesn't give us what we will because we would be in hell. He changes our will so that we turn to him and are healed. From our perspective, it's important to remember in a text like this that first, practically speaking, as humans look at it, we can't trace the mysterious hand of God in someone's heart, even in your own heart necessarily. So it's important to see that human responsibility is still at the forefront of this passage and of the Bible. Verse 37 says, they did not believe. They didn't want to hear it. It was their opinion, it was their will, it worked. So then, secondly, next, they could not believe. Then, okay, he hardens their hearts. Human responsibility is still, you and I must give an account for how we love God or didn't love him, how we turned away from him or turned to him, whether we believed or not. It's our will at work. It's our faith. It's not God's faith. We thank him when he gives it to us, but we don't blame him when we don't believe the clear, glorious, saving message of the cross. They rejected him, so he rejected them. They hated him, so he hardened them. They closed their eyes, so he blinded them. My daughter asked me the other day, but Daddy, doesn't God still give everyone a chance? Like, is, 
he says here he blinded them, but won't they still have a chance? I don't know. There is a point in the Bible, and it's told in many different ways, where there is a point where a sinner reaches that point of no return. I don't know when that point is. I don't think that any of you have reached that point, but how do I know? The fact that you're sitting here is a good sign that you're still interested, or that you're all in. But there is a point when God says, I give them over to their sin. I give them over to their darkness. And he even tells the prophets, do not pray for them anymore and don't preach to them anymore because I'm done with them. That happens. Amen. It's a warning. Warnings are merciful. Because it wakes us up and it makes us think, wait, I better make sure I'm staying far away from that line. Amen. That line in the sand, that point of no return. I'm going to stay way over here in the, the Word and in fellowship and in trying to walk in obedience. And when I do fall and screw up and sin, I'm going to go right back to the cross and repent and turn and be healed like Isaiah says they would be if they would simply turn. Chapter 12, verses 40 and 43 say, these people turned away from God and turned to their own little version of glory. They stared so long at the glory of men that they were blinded to the glory of God. They turned so often to the glory and the love and the approval of men that they forgot what it was like to have God's approval. And they got distracted with earthly things and forgot the heavenly things. It reminds me of our cell phones or any other devices we have, screens. We get so easily distracted that we forget how sweet God's word is. We get so caught up in the videos and the feeds and the constant barrage of entertainment that we forget that God's word is still sitting here and his glory is still shining forth. Turn away from the distractions long enough to, to get back into the Word this year. We've talked about Bible reading plans, and we have Bible studies, and we have opportunities for you to fellowship in app groups here at the church, you know, trying to apply the Word within smaller groups. We're trying so many different ways to get you exposed to the Word and fellowship and so that we can grow together and see God's glory. And, and yet we get so distracted, and we, we go running to the things of the world to help us to make us feel better, to take our mind off of reality, when God is saying, my glory is waiting for you to be discovered. It seems that God might be hiding from some of us. Maybe he's seemingly too quiet or silent. And you say, I want to see you, I want to hear from you. And if that's true of you, there's a lot of hope in this passage. And so Jesus wraps this up in the last few verses here, chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, by saying, okay, like Isaiah said, there will be many that didn't believe my signs, even the signs of healing the blind and raising the dead. Even my own death and resurrection, many will reject me still. But there's still hope because Jesus says in verse 44, crying out, whoever believes in me believes not in him but him who sent me. Now, the story is kind of strange at this point where we're not really sure where Jesus is because he's hidden himself and departed, and it never told us that he came back or where he is. But I take this kind of as like a universal, always applicable. You can always take this word from Jesus and say, no matter where you are, what time of day it is, this is a good word, and it's a promise that God will keep. If anyone believes in me, what about the people that were blind and hard-hearted and turned away? He says, if anyone believes in me, if those people come back like the Apostle Paul himself, who was blinded spiritually, blinded physically, and then came back and believed, if anyone believes in me, then he believes in God, and he will have eternal life. This is a, it's a cry. Jesus is crying out. He's not being silent. 
He's not being quiet. He's not hiding. He's crying out, if anyone believes in me, he also believes in the Father who sent me, and we will give that person eternal life. Jesus, verse 44, is equating himself to God. If you believe in me, you believe in God. I could never say that, neither could you. What about verse 45? Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Can you ever say that? If you look at me, you're looking at God. I hope you wouldn't say that. Some people do. Some pastors do. Jesus says, if you see me, you see God. If, if you reject me, he says, in verse 47 and 48, you reject God. If, if someone says, I love God, I'm following God, I believe in God, but they reject Jesus, Jesus says, actually, you've rejected God. It, you're not following God truly. You reject him if you've rejected Jesus. The very Son of God, whom to know him is to know God, to see him is to see God, cries out, believe in me. Believe that I am God. Believe that I'm the Son of God. Believe that I am the one that you need. But what else are we to believe? We're to believe what he did for us. Not just who he is, but what did he do for us. In just a few pages, Jesus will cry out again from where? The cross. He cries out, believe in me. He cries out from the cross. And what does he say at the cross? What does he cry from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you hidden yourself from me? I can't see you anymore. Jesus says, you see me? You see God. And then he says, now look what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the cross, and he's going to cover himself. He's going to hide himself from me. I'm going to be denied the beautiful vision of my Father and the love he has for me, the fellowship with him for you. If you see me on the cross, cast out from the presence of God, shut out from the glory of God for a while so that I could pay for your sins. You're seeing God at work. You're seeing the glory of God displayed. You think God's hidden from you? What I think probably is more often the case is that we're hiding from God. We've got hidden sins, secret sins, things we don't want anybody to know about, dirty private sins. And yet we look at Jesus and we say, is that the hidden God, the one that was naked, exposed publicly before a watching world? Is that the hidden God? Is he really hidden? He's revealing himself. He's opening himself to us. He's saying, you're hiding. Come back to me. Come into the light. Stop hiding in the darkness. I'm the one that was in the darkness. I was the one that was put behind the veil of death itself. And God cut himself off for your sake. I bore your sins. You were glory thieves, stealing from God, trading God's glory for your own little truth. And God freely then made another great exchange. He gave his own son the punishment for your sin, and he gave you the reward for Jesus' righteousness. The great exchange God did is he took glory traders and glory thieves like you and me, and he says, okay, watch this deal. I'm going to put all of your punishment on Jesus. He's going to bear your sins, and I'm going to put all of his righteousness, reward, and blessing, and honor on you who didn't deserve it. Why is no one saying hallelujah? <laughs> Why are you not saying amen to that? That's an amazing trade. That's an amazing exchange. God has done something amazing. He's given us life. In Jesus, we see the hidden God amen. revealed. In Jesus, we see the one who bore our hidden sins. We, in Jesus, we see God turning away from the Son in judgment so that he could turn back to us in peace. Hallelujah. Jesus said in verse 47, I didn't come to judge. I came to die. I came to save. Verse 47, if you reject my saving word, though, you're rejecting life and light. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. 
The facts will condemn you. My word will condemn you. I, I said in my word, if you believe in me, you'll be saved. So what happens if you don't believe, class? You won't be saved. I mean, what, it's not very difficult. If you turn to me, life. If you turn away from me, death. So which one do you want? He's saying it's so obvious. It's so open. I didn't come here to judge you. I came here to save you. But you've got to come to me for salvation. Verses 49 and 50, he says, if you hear my word, he also says it in this text, if you receive my word, he also says if you keep my word, then you're hearing God's word. You're, you're hearing God's authoritative word. This is a word of authority. It's a, it's a word of eternal life being given to us. And so if it's an authoritative word, then it's not just a suggestion or an invitation, even though Jesus cries out this invitation, come to me, believe in me. It's also a command. Amen. God does not want you to die. He does not want you to be in the darkness. It's not right for you to be in the darkness. It's not right that you prefer sin over God. God says, no, don't do that. I'm the only good thing in your life. Ultimately, I'm the only good thing. I command you, turn to me. Turn to the light. Get away from the darkness. Run from sin. Flee to the cross. This is a command. It's authoritative. It's a word from Jesus, a word from God to you and me. It's an opportunity to, to hear that God's word matters. It's... it's truthful, it's authoritative, and we should respond to it. We should turn and be healed. There's so many promises in the Bible. I would challenge you, if you, if you could find a promise that says somewhere in the Bible, if you turn to me, I won't turn to you. Or if you call on my name through Jesus, I won't listen to you. If you can find one of those promises, let me know. I haven't seen one yet. I keep seeing promises like Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Amen. Or Jesus, and if you knock or seek or ask, I will open the door and grant you what you're asking for. I will show you myself. I will give you my glory. Or Second Chronicles 7.14, if you seek me, if my people seek me, if my people who are called by my name seek me, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive them and heal their land. That's the promises I know. Those are the ones that I know. They, they clearly say, if you turn to him, if you open your eyes and believe, he will have you. He will save you. He will forgive you. He'll restore you. I like what Isaiah 65 says. I was ready to be sought by those who did not even ask for me, God says. I mean, I'm so ready, God says, that even when you weren't even looking for me or seeking me, I was standing there saying this, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not even called by my name. So you got the Jews who were called by his name, my people who were called by my name, would turn and pray and seek me, I'll heal them. Now he's saying to the Gentiles, the nations, to a people who weren't even called by my name, who didn't even want me. God's doing this, hey, here I am, here I am. You know the name of God that he revealed to Moses was the I am, right? I am who I am. God's saying, I'm also the here I am, here I am, God. Okay, I am the here I am. I'm right here, waving my arms, extending my arms to you, inviting you. You don't even want me. You're blind. But I'm going to heal you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to redeem you. Colossians 3 says it like this. If you then have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. You're like, that's a familiar verse. Where did I hear that recently? Uh, Crazy Rich Asians, they quoted that verse during the movie. That's where you heard it. Um, if you've been raised with Christ, don't seek crazy rich things of this life. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not just on earthly riches or earthly glory or the opinions of other people. 
not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ in God. Your life is hidden. God, are you hiding from me? Of course not. I'm trying to raise you from the darkness and pettiness of the earth to where I'm seated on a throne, where there's truth and reality and true glory. I'm trying to raise you so that you can be hidden in me. Hidden in my heart. Hidden in my home. Hidden in a place. I have a place for you where you hide yourself in me, in my son Jesus. We feel, I think, the most that God is hiding from us when bad things on this earth happen to us, right? When bad things happen, we say, oh, God forgot me. God doesn't hear me. He's not showing himself to me. Suffering makes us think that God hides himself from us. Not true. Suffering is meant to turn us back to God so we'll seek Him and find Him. That's what suffering is for. And so when we say, I feel so lonely and rejected by people, we translate that and put that on God and project it onto God and say, therefore God must have rejected me and be far from me. Not true. When we go through a hard time and the world seems against us, we might think, well, God must be against me too. Not true. Hallelujah. He wants you to turn to him in your pain, in your suffering. And he's raised you. He says, well, your old life and your old sinful ways, that's dead now, and I've raised you to a whole new place. That's not even you anymore. This is the new you. You and me, hidden together, united together, glorious, eternally, living together. If your life is hidden with Christ on high, then the most high God is never going to be hidden from you, ultimately. Amen. If your life is hidden with Christ, on high, then how can the most high God, who might seem very far away, how can he be truly hidden from you? Come on. So come out of the darkness, brothers and sisters, come out of the darkness, and hide with me in the light. Okay? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you out of some confusion, out of some pain, out of some darkness, and out of the wrong way of thinking that says that God is truly hiding from us if we are seeking you. I know if we're sinning against you, you might hide from us, and I know that you're invisible, but I, I truly believe that if we seek you and, and come to you, you'll reveal yourself in glory to us. You'll reveal that Jesus is a suffering and sovereign Savior, and we will find life in him. I know that you hide yourself from those who run away from you, but you welcome those who run to you with open arms. You open up a place at your own table, a place in your own home, a place at your throne of grace. You say, come with me. Hide yourself here with me in Christ. And it's in Jesus that we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in him. He's not hiding them from us. It's just that we need to explore and study and go deeper, and we will find glorious, crazy riches and crazy glory that the world knows nothing about. Thank you for revealing Jesus to us in whom we find all the treasures that we need, all the glory that we need. We do not need the approval or the glory of the world or other people or our own upside-down way of thinking. We need your glory and your truth and your treasure and your mercy. So hide us in Christ, who is the light, we pray. And we will see you and we will love you forever for his sake. And in his name, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Now as you see God,